Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 551 Podcast. This is Wes Berdine, your host. This week, we are going a little further back into the Wayback Machine to, uh, you know, the end of the Minnesota Thunder uh, era, to the Stars era, to uh, talk to a guy named Kyle Altman. Um, Kyle was uh, captain, uh, quite famously, of the 2011 team that won the final, the, uh, the, the team that nobody wanted, and then uh, retired early from soccer a couple years later so that he could go become a doctor, which uh, he's now in South Carolina doing his residency. And so we get to catch up with him. He's such a great guy. He was, he was, you know, one of these players that I really uh, gravitated to early on. Um, uh, one of those players that um, uh, Bruce McGuire uh, wrote a uh, uh, wrote the song for um, with the uh, the Human League's uh, um, "Don't You Want Me, Baby" to uh, Captain Kyle Altman. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm delighted to talk to him. I want to just tell you that uh, this week uh, we are also. Um, uh, advertising, uh, quite selfishly, the Black Heart of St. Paul's uh, curbside drag. We are doing Friday, Saturdays from 4 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, Takeaway um, six packs and bottles of wine uh, and and some some limited food menu. So please come by and uh, and support that. Um, it, it's been great to be doing it just a little bit, and uh, and uh, it's been great having a few of the employees back and getting cash in their pocket. So I really appreciate all the support we've had so far. Uh, the soccer community has definitely um, been out supporting it, and it really means a lot to me. Um, but for now, let's uh, let's go to the music from Big Quarters, and then we'll talk to Kyle Oden. My guest today is Dr. Captain Kyle Altman, former defender of the Minnesota Thunder, NSC, Minnesota Stars, Minnesota Stars, and Minnesota United. Uh, he, was cap- he came to the team in 2008 and captain of the 2011 Championship Stars team, as well as the 2012 team that lost to the final. He retired from soccer in 2013 to go to medical school and is now a doctor in Greenville, South Carolina. Um Thank you for joining us, Doctor Captain. Um, can I ask by uh, start by asking how is uh, quarantine life going down there? Yeah, well, uh, th- thanks for the introduction. I'm I'm humble. You have such <laughs> nice things to say about me, but um, yeah, uh, everything's going well down here in Greenville. Um, it, we're uh, I'm, I'm in my third year of my orthopedic residency, and really our our training program has kind of whittled its way down to kind of its bare bones of keeping people in the hospital and then keeping, you know, residents and orthopedic surgeons at home kind of safe in case, you know, a crisis comes up and they need extra bodies other places. And it hasn't kind of ripped through through a program. We, we heard some reports early on that there was some trouble in big places like New York where entire orthopedic programs were going down. And so they try to kind of minimize the amount of damage in case it it came through here. And so we've kind of been taking turns in the hospital and taking turns, staying home and taking care of our family and staying safe. Yeah. Yeah. Has that led to more, um, off time kind of just, uh, not working than, than usual, or is it just kind of a different, uh, different amount of shifts? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, there's definitely some downtime and, you know, we're, we're still doing, you know, uh, 
social distancing and trying to stay home and quarantine when we're not at the hospital. So it's, it's not exactly like we're at vacation time and we still have um, quite a bit of education conferences that we're doing over the phone and over Skype and over zoom meetings. Um, the hospital, it's, it's pretty busy. There's still a lot of people that, that are getting injured that, that need to care. And so you have a uh, pretty bare bone teams and you're working long hours. So Kyle, I got to ask you, do you have a Southern accent now? Do I still what? Do you have a Southern accent now? It's a, I mean, you're from New Mexico. <laughs> you spent a good amount of time in Minnesota. You sound, you sound like you've got a little bit of South Carolina going on. Got it. I sure hope I don't. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, it's funny because my mom said the same thing about when I was living up in Minnesota. As I was coaching at Wazetta High School, and, you know, my girls would uh, – I'd make fun of my girls a little bit with some of the words that they would say, and I almost picked up some of the, the words. I, I couldn't say coach. I couldn't say the word coach for the longest time. I'd always come out coach. i got to go coach later. <laughs> I don't know what that was about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so you've uh, you've been a doctor – or I mean, you're on, on your way through the residency. Sorry. I've um, been in the whole medical school and kind of going through the whole process. Does your professional soccer life seem like a, a kind of distant, bizarre past or, or not? Does it still feel part of who you are? No, it uh, it definitely feels like a bizarre past to me. Um, you know, my uh, you know, I met my wife in medical school, and we've got a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter here at home. And all, most of my friends here in Greenville, South Carolina, are people I've made met through residency and through orthopedics. So not a lot of people are kind of familiar with my past or even knew me as a soccer player back then. So there's a, every now and then I'll get a reminder and still try to follow – you know, soccer, especially Minnesota soccer, as much mm-hmm. as I can, but it does it does seem kind of a weird blur from the past. So no one no one's walking in down the, the halls of the hospital going, Doctor Kyle Oldman. <laughs> you know, I had a few fans of Minnesota who said they were gonna follow me in the operating room and start singing to me. You know, it was kinda of like that uh <laughs> Eli Manning commercial or yeah. Peyton Manning commercial where he goes by the butcher and yells, Cut that meat cut that meat, but I haven't seen any guys around. Uh, next time I make it down to, to South Carolina and, and need some work on my, uh, my knee or something, I'll, I'll, I'll look you up. Um, so you, uh, you, you know, you came out of a D3 college program, right? Trinity University. And then you got drafted by um, the New England Revolution. Can you tell me about the the pathway that went from kind of college and then that eventually led you to, to being picked up by the Minnesota Thunder? Yeah. Um, it all actually started with uh, the Maccabi games in mm-hmm. USA. Amos McGee was the coach of the Minnesota Thunder back then. And, you know, I came and uh, was invited to go to Argentina and play with the Maccabi games Which and uh, met they, Amos, met Kevin Friedland, who they, was part of the team then and captain of the team. Do me a favor and, uh, and explain you know, Amos, explain Amos to the listeners. I got drafted, and uh, you know we formed a pretty good relationship while we were down there, and uh, told me just to kind of keep in touch and let let me let them know how everything went. I was um, headed to Monterrey Rayados for a trial right after that, and he knew that you know there's a chance that I could get drafted too, and so he just said, you know, keep us in mind if for whatever happens. So um, when I got released by New England. Um, Amos was the first person I called. So, do me a favor and just uh, just tell the listeners what the Maccabi games are. Yeah, <laughs> we joke about it as being the Jew Olympics. <laughs> um, well, basically, it's a it's an international competition for not only soccer but 
a lot of different other sports too. And there's a Pan American Games that's every four years. Um, and this the year that I went was in Buenos Aires, and we went four years later down to uh, Rio for, um, or sorry, Sa- Sao Paulo for Brazil. But then there's also a World Maccabea Games where a bunch of Jewish athletes come together and they play in an international tournament. And I went to that, I think, two years after the Pan American game. And Jason Lezak was our flag bearer and Bruce Pearl was coaching the basketball team. It was, a, it was a pretty big international event. It was fun. And so then, you know, you call up Amos and, um, and you come over to, to the Thunder in 2008. What was life like as a professional soccer player in, in 2008? And then, and then I'm, I'm curious then, after you talk about that, how did it compare then to 2013 when you left? Yeah, um, it was interesting. I was a rookie. Um, my my contract was actually something that I was pretty excited about when they were talking about rookie contracts. They were talking about you know five hundred dollars a month and you know offering coaching on the side. But I actually um, had a pretty decent rookie contract. I probably would have signed for a lot less. But uh, you know I stayed with Kevin Friedland and Nick Platter, and we got a little three bedroom house and. Um, yeah, the at that time, man, I'm forgetting his name, but it was uh, one of the, the foreign owners had just come in, and, and they were actually handing out some pretty good contracts. And um, and the following year is actually when I went back to school and he left, and, uh, we, you know, they went without without getting paid for several months, and, mm-hmm. and I think he uh, kind of disappeared, and they were worried about the stability of the team and the, and the money and where the finances were coming from. But my first year was actually – a pretty good contract. It was a really professionally run organization and I loved it. And then uh, when I came back a couple of years later, it was a little bit wishy-washy that we had, you know, two or three different owners and two or three different years. And, and we were a little bit worried about our paychecks and, and the stability of the, of the franchise really. Um, but by the time that I left, it was the first year um, under the new ownership and they were already making strides headed down towards MLS. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, we played some home games in the Metrodome before it collapsed, and uh, we, were, we were really starting to turn things around. Um, and then, yeah, so so you could because the last, um, I, I guess you kind of saw the end of the um, the kind of Thunder era, and and weren't there for that year. Because did you go back to college, or, or what was the break that you took? Yeah. So I um. When I got drafted, I still had a semester left of college. Oh, okay. And after my first year of playing soccer, I wanted to go back and, and finish that up. So um, I took a year off, went back to school, um, finished up, graduated, and then started looking back to, uh, to play professional soccer again after I graduated. Um, you played as a center back um, during kind of the, the the peak era, but at times you were a defensive midfielder, and I distinctly remember <laughs> there being talk that – Maybe that would have been your best position. Do you think that you would have succeeded <laughs> you know, more? I'm going to blame Brian Coleman for this. I know he's out there listening, but um, <laughs> I think we were playing Tampa Bay at home, and it was my second year with the club, and I was playing center mid, and we were about 15 minutes into the game. We were up 1-0, and I think Coleman got into a little bit of a storm and got a red card. And I went and paired with uh, Arango as a center back, and uh, Coleman kind of sifted out to right back after that, and kind of the rest was history. I don't think I played very many games in midfield after that. Yep, a lot goes back to blaming Brian Coleman. So, 
<laughs> I could blame him for everything. And, and I, you know, do you think um, uh, you would have kind of succeeded more, maybe as a, as a professional, if you had had played that that defensive midfielder position? Um, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think especially looking at at the players that were in the league at the time, and especially looking at the next level, I think there were probably a lot of people that could do what I what I could do in midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably had maybe a little bigger of an upside with a, a more dangerous pass or, or a better shot on goal or something a, a little bit bigger of an upside. But um, I think I brought something a little bit more unique as a center back, just um, having a, a foundation as a center midfielder and having working knowledge of, of how that role should be played. Um, I also like being at the back too because you have the whole field in front of you and you can – kind of play general a little bit and move people around and, and have a good view of the game and, and do a lot with your voice that you can't necessarily do with your feet. And uh, and I thought I brought something a little bit more unique to that role as a center ball. Mm. Um, tell me about the, the 2011 championship team. Uh, what what happened there and, and why? Um, oh, stars aligned. We, uh, we had a good team. We always had a lot of talent. Um, we had a good – we, had, we were really well organized. It was just a matter of getting all the pieces together at the right time. And something kind of clicked late in that season and uh, went on a an unbeaten run towards the end of the season for the last four or five games the playoffs. And I remember we had to win away at Carolina right. to make the playoffs in the season. And that, we were playing really good soccer at that time, and I think it all started with, um, with just – Becoming more organized and defensively sound, yeah. And from there, we could build and become more of an attacking threat. And you know, we just found our feet at the right time, and and we all worked for each other, and and uh, and put together a good run. That Carolina game, the the last game of the the regular season, was the beginning, if I remember correctly, was the beginning of the uh, the Wonderwall tradition. Um, can you tell me something about that? No, that's pretty well documented in the video. That was uh, 100% Carl Craig. Uh, we we started singing that song on a bus about halfway through the season, and you know Carl was always really big into sports psychology, and he would uh, try to influence the game through you know tactics that you probably haven't even heard of or people won't even think to do. Like uh, for example, humming a song that you know we knew kind of resounded. He would hum Wonderwall in pregame. And no one would know that he was actually doing it, but his theory was that, you know, feeling victory, our post-game victory song before the game would actually kind of inspire us and put ourselves in the right mindset for victory. And uh, and he would do the same thing with smells. So he had a uh, a cologne that he would yeah. put on and occasionally spray behind our backs in the locker room that he thought was, you know, kind of propelling us for victory. So he uh, he did a lot behind the scenes and. And one day he started singing this song, and, and we all kind of picked it up and started singing it every time we won. And the, the first time that it really caught on and we caught it on video and, and that it really took off was that away game in Carolina when we made the playoffs. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, the, the team was kind of dubbed the team that nobody wanted. Um, th- that was the, the kind of song that came out um, spontaneously from, from the supporters. And I, I wonder if you feel like, felt like that as players, did you feel like plucky outsiders that, um, the, the team that nobody wanted? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you become stronger as a unit through adversity. And I think, um, 
you know, a lot of the stuff that was going on outside of the, the playing field at the time, you know, kind of had an influence on it of, uh, you know, bringing us a little bit closer together and giving us something else besides just, you know, 11 players on the field to, to fight for. We had a, a tradition of Minnesota soccer on the line. Um, some people, you know, were playing for their jobs. We were all playing for to be successful and hopefully uh, excite an owner about investing in the team. Um, so it was a lot more than just, you know, 11 players, you know, putting on cleats and going out there and playing a soccer game. It was, there was a lot more behind it. And part of that too was the fans. You know, you could feel the passion from the fans. You could feel the support of the fans. You could see how much this team meant to the fans, even before we ever put on the shirt, just given by the history. And I think a lot of that kind of inspired us to come together as a team and fight through the adversity and, and win championship. The um the the way the final went it was three one at home and then second leg was in uh, at crappy old Lockhart um and that was a nil nil. <laughs> what do you remember about either of those games? Um, well, the second game it was uh what my brother said the longest most boring game he's ever seen in his life and I said absolutely <laughs> okay with that three one away from home in a soaking wet field I'm okay with a boring game. Zero zero tie, and uh, and that's what it was. We we were up three one after the first leg. I remember just thinking that we had to defend for our lives. We had ninety minutes of shutting them down, and we were champions. And, uh, and that's what we did. How did you celebrate? Oh, we went wild. <laughs> we went absolutely wild for about two weeks straight. <laughs> uh, we had a. Uh, Let's see, I remember celebrating with the fans in the middle of the rain in the corner flag at Lockhart and having kind of celebrations in the locker room, singing. And then uh, I don't think the party stopped in Fort Lauderdale for about a solid 24 hours there. If if I remember correctly, uh, and maybe you just don't want to talk about it, there was also a party that, that someone from the Fort Lauderdale team held a party that you guys went to then, which seemed really funny to me that the winning team would go have a celebratory party at someone's house from the losing team. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Uh, I don't know anything about that. I, I must not have been cool enough to invite to that party, but um, I ended up in the ocean. I know that for sure. Okay. All right. I, I, I feel like maybe it was actually, well, I don't know. Maybe it was actually the, the 2012 year in Tampa. I, I feel like there was almost a fight uh, one of those years. So, uh, Yeah. So the, the Tampa was a different situation because we had just lost the tournament. And the way that Tampa was set up is they had apartments that we rented when we came into town. And so all the Tampa players were celebrating the same night in the same apartment complex as all the Minnesota Uh, United players who just lost the championship. Interesting. Um, And we we knew some of those players pretty well from the other team. Luke Mulholland, he was on the team before, year before, won the championship with us. And Andres Arango, who was our former captain, and I don't remember any fights or anything that was too hard of feelings, but um, I do remember awkward situations where we're all kind of in close quarters. Yeah. Uh, you also don't need to tell me all the stories. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do want to ask you then about 2012. Was the, was the feeling the, the same there? How did you go into that year as, you know, moving from plucky outsiders to now um, – uh, improbable champions and, and then going in not much material is, has changed because you guys are still league owned. Um, but what was that, uh, that year like? 
Yeah, well, the um, it was kind of like the cat was out of the bag. Um, that we did have talent and we could put together a run, and uh, we were a, a tough team to play against in the league. And uh, I think, you know, Kevin Friedman, one of his ideas was to have the uh, NASL Cup patch put on our logo. So we're looking at that uh, before we step out of the locker room every day. And I think uh, it just kind of filled our team with a little bit more confidence, you know, knowing that we had won a championship before, uh, desperate to prove that it wasn't a fluke and wasn't just a lucky run. And I, I thought we played some really great soccer that year. I really did. Even though we didn't win a championship that year, I was really – really pleased with the way that we played the final against tampa as, as we said um uh, went really well uh, until a kind of late goal um it was two nothing uh at home and then ended up being three to one away um i, I want to ask you about the end and, and the pks in in a minute but before that um tell me about the either the home game or or, or the away the the second leg what, what do you remember from those those two games. I remember the uh, the first leg pretty well. I thought we played some really great soccer. Um, I remember Amani hitting the banger and putting us up one zero. And then I remember being on the goal line when Connor Tobin flicked that header into Martin and going and celebrating, and the boards come crashing down over with the dark clouds. And that was one of the greatest moments of my life. That was so much fun. Yeah. Um, and then going into the second leg, you know, I just. I felt um, a little bit more nervous for kind of where we stood as a team going in that second leg, you know, a uh, two goal lead as opposed to one goal lead is always better, of course, but there was, you know, kind of a sense of we've done the hard work and I knew that we had a tough, tough game to play against Tampa. You know, they were big, they were physical and you know, they had Carl court up top. They had uh, I'm forgetting his name, but another big bruiser. Shane Hill got the got the red card, the coach's son, and he man, that guy could yep. eat some cheeseburgers. Yeah, exactly. It was a it was a small field, it was a tight field, and they love to play direct. And uh, and that's a recipe for a lot of goals being scored. And and I knew that it was going to be a tough game. Yeah, they in that second leg they they kind of scored pretty early, um, and then and then it kind of. Um, it looked like it was going to go well because um, uh, after their second goal, Lucas Rodriguez got uh, went ahead. But it was the it was the end that kind of um, you know a, a late goal. Um, they also got a red card right before the end of uh, uh, the the regular time. Um, where did it go wrong? You think? Uh, it's tough to say. Um, you know, you have kind of feelings within the game, yeah. you know, at 2-0 at down, we were still withstanding quite a bit of pressure. I haven't seen the game, by the way, since we, uh, since we lost. I never <laughs> went back and watched it. I couldn't bring myself to do that. Yeah, me neither. So. Um, we were 2-0 yeah. uh, we down, and I felt like we were up against the wall. And I thought our third goal or our first goal came a little bit against the run of play, to be honest, right after half. And I thought, felt like everything kind of settled after that. I felt like all of a sudden we weren't under much pressure. They weren't pinning us back like they were in the first half when it was 2-0. I thought that we were actually in a pretty good um, we pretty comfortable. I think it was probably the 85th or 86th minute. It was, a, I remember, a long ball played out of the back and, you know, kind of won the first ball. Second ball got clipped in and just kind of a mad scramble in front of a goal. And uh, and that's just kind of the way that, way that it happens. So, 
Mm. You know, I was really trying to rally the team going into overtime because they had just gotten a red card. We were up a man, thinking that we had 30 minutes to take it to them. But we had been defending so desperately, I think we were out of gas. Just from trying to defend a lead for so long, yeah. I just didn't think we had the emotional legs to come back and, and score the winning goal. And going into penalties, it was, uh, I mean, it's penalties, you know? Yeah. You just never know kind of what's going to happen. I think, uh, honestly, I think a little bit of it was Luke Mulholland. Luke Mulholland was on the team the year before when we won one or two penalty shootouts, and we trained with him every single day, and we took penalties with him probably about three or four times a week. Yeah. And uh, and I think he might have had uh, been in our heads or had our number. I've always hated the guy, so that's that's good to hear. <laughs> he helped us win a championship. He I'll did. He did. Um, uh, and he also created that uh, that great gifable moment when he uh, at Real Salt Lake when he ran into the uh, to the to the goalpost. I don't know if you've seen that, but it's uh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I haven't seen that one. One of the best. That one up now. Yeah, one of the best gifts on the on the planet. Um, so uh, yeah, the 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 penalties. I you know I I actually I'll I'll tell you that there's an anonymous person. Uh, who um, helped me with? Uh, I asked them what I should be asking you, and 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 they asked to. Uh, they they said what happened with the shootout to to directly ask you about that. What because um, you you took a PK and, and and missed it, and I wonder um, yeah what what happened there. Is it was it you think uh, you had Luke in your head, or or what else do you remember about that? Oh, I oh I definitely had Luke in my head. Um... You know, we uh, my spot that I always went was loan to the left, and I'd made plenty of penalties that way. And uh, and going back to thinking about, you, you know, we we played I want to say Carolina the year before and beat them in a penalty shootout, and we had the exact same five shooters shoot this year or in the championship this year as we did the year before in the semifinals. Mm. And uh, and knowing that Luke was a part of that, and the exact same order made me kind of worry a little bit about. Um, about the Antonella knowing my spot, and uh, and so I pulled up and I played a played a different shot than I usually did. I went straight down the middle, thinking he was going to get guess right, and uh, and he saved it. Yeah. It wasn't a good penalty. Yeah. Um. So um, going with those, uh, I've got a series of questions that this person asked me, wanted me to, to ask you. I'm supposed to ask you about the time you saw yourself in an ad on your honeymoon? <laughs> uh, who's feeding you all these questions, man? <laughs> I, I, I can't say. <laughs> They're starting to get well now. Um, yeah, that was crazy. Um, it actually wasn't my honeymoon. It was my current wife but it was one of the first trips that we took together as a couple we went to greece we went to a small island called paros and on paros we we just taken like a little bit of a cruise ship to the mediterranean but it was really terrible water and so we were both feeling very sick and it was 11 o'clock at night and uh she's definitely afraid of cats and there are stray cats everywhere and so she was kind of we're walking down the side of the beach and uh it's almost pitch black with the exception of a couple lights and everything four steps she's jumping and kind of freaking out a little bit and she's caught me on edge and all of a sudden she stops and she screams oh my god i looked up and there was me on the beach in paros bigger than life-size picture kissing the trophy and uh that was one of the craziest moments because she really didn't know anything or she knew that i played soccer before but she really didn't know kind of what that meant um or kind of how 
I don't know, it still probably wasn't big enough for me to reach Paros Greece in an advertisement, but it was uh, the picture that Admiral had chosen, chosen to use, and uh, it was right there in Paros Greece. It was awesome. Wow. It was crazy. <laughs> okay, so it was an Admiral <laughs> ad, so trying to sell jerseys, I guess, and and your your face sells jerseys. So um, uh, I'm supposed to also ask you about the time he didn't travel on a road trip and wore Neil's Jordans and what happened to the tissue paper. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> All right, you've been talking to Kevin Friedland. I know it. (laughs) I will not say, but um, yes. Oh, yeah, of course it is. It sounds just like Kevin. Just stirring the pot. Always stirring the pot, Kevin. Um, Yeah, Neil was very particular about his Jordans. He was crazy particular about his Jordans. Uh, Even to the point where he had just left town for a road trip. I'd pulled my hamstring, and I just wanted to mess with him and put his Jordans on, take a picture and send it to him and he freaked out so this is i should say this is this is neil lavity who's I'm, i should preface this for the for the listeners this is neil lavity um the angriest man in soccer who's now who's now extremely tame and the assistant coach for forward madison but um but god he i i always anytime i talk about it he was the the biggest son of a bitch i had ever met and i didn't even know him that well so i would have to agree with you um <laughs> But yeah, we at that time we were living in an apartment. We had a two bedroom apartment with four people in it, so our closets were actually big enough to put a twin bed. So he was actually living in my closet at the time, and all he had in there was a bed, a TV, and a stack of Jordans, and that's all he cared about, really. And uh, so he gets picks up the phone at dinner apparently and goes, Altman, I swear to God, if you tear the wrapping paper and those Jordans, I'm going to kill you. Sure enough, when I went to go put them back in. It caught the lip. I ripped the paper, and he came home furious. <laughs> <laughs> so during that time, you you had this apartment that was, um, uh, you know, had had the the three other teammates in it, um, and it was at various times, you know, uh, I think Connor Tobin lived in there for a little while, and other random yeah. players. Um, was it was it kind of a little bit? Um, and maybe just this is all all pro athletes, but a little bit kind of extended college party time of of kind of uh, <laughs> we're not making much money, we're all living together, and we all just play pro soccer, and so we're gonna have fun. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna plead the fifth on this one. Okay, sure, <laughs> great, perfect. <laughs> we uh, we we had a lot of fun. Uh, we tried to keep it when we needed to, and and we did that. But we, there there were a few local bars around there that we we like to go. Have a good time. Yeah, halftime wreck. If I if I remember correctly, you you guys. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Had a had bocce ball in the basement. That was one of the funnest nights in Minnesota. Um, during a couple of preseasons, you trialed with MLS teams, right? Can Can you tell me about that experience? Yeah, um, it's it's tough not to crack, especially as as an older player. When I was getting my trials, um, you know, you think that in the second division. You're, you're doing well and you're kind of making a name for yourself and, you know, you've been a, an all-star, you made the best 11, you've won a championship, you're captain the team, but it really doesn't mean anything to anyone. And uh, and when you, you go into these trials, you're basically, you know, I was thought of as a rookie, yeah. you know. Um, and so you just, you got to go about your business and prove yourself. It's, uh, it's a little bit challenging, just any trial situation. You know, a lot of the players that are really well established are – you know, kind of easing their way in and they're not looking to get hurt. They're trying to build fitness. They're there, you know, plenty early before the season starts to before they really get going. And then you have a group of, of players who are trying to make it. 
you know, and uh, and I was one of those players, and it's tough to kind of walk that line where you want to show people you can put in tackles and you can be physical and, and when you're one-on-one duels, but then at the same time, you know, you don't want to be the guy that's going in and two-footing people in preseason, so. It was, um, was it Portland? What's that? Was it Portland you trialed with, or? I was with uh, San Jose okay. one season. Um, that was kind of in between our, our championship run and our our second place finish. Mm-hmm. And I pulled my hamstring that was under Frank Yallop and, and came back and did my recovery and stuff in Minnesota and, and just kind of ran out of time to go back before my hamstring really healed up. Right. Um, and then the following year, I spent some time with DC United okay. and got a concussion and came back from uh, came back to Minnesota after my concussion and then spent a little bit of time in Portland. Okay. And Portland, I was with them for probably a solid two months until uh, until they released me and I came back to Minnesota. Is that is that kind of a, a a regret of yours, or do you have regrets like that about your professional career, or is it or do you is it are you one of those guys who just it didn't work out and you don't have those kind of regrets? Yeah, no, I mean soccer soccer was my passion, soccer was my life. Um, you know, wake up and eat, breathe, and dream about soccer. You know. Uh, so obviously I would have loved to have gone as, as far as I could. And I still think that, you know, had I gotten a chance, I, you know, I could have done something with it, but, you know, I was put in front of those coaches, you know, three, three times I had trials, I had four different MLS teams that I was in camps with. And, uh, and maybe I just wasn't the type of center back they were looking for, yeah. you know, I still, uh, still think I could have offered something. And, you know, one thing about me is I'm not exactly the, the prototypical player I never was. You know, I'm tall, I'm lengthy, you take one look at me, and, you know, my coach from college, Paul McGinley, would say I look like I had two pieces of string dangling from my shorts, because <laughs> those are my legs were so skinny, chicken legs, um, but uh, but I felt like I had something to offer, and uh, and I still think that I could have done the job, I just wish I would have had the chance, you know? Yeah. Tell me about your decision to leave soccer. It was right after, um, uh, you know, Minnesota United uh, was the team was bought by Dr. Bill McGuire and the new era started. Um, how did you make that, uh, make that decision? Yeah, well, it didn't come lightly. It had been coming for a while. Uh, I'd been taking deferrals from San Antonio's med school for, uh, I think three or four years up to that point. And, uh, it was one of those things, you know, uh, second division soccer, you could play until I was 33, 34 to where I am now. And then, trying to figure out your life after that. Do you play as long as you can, or do you kind of take advantage of another opportunity? And I always wanted to go into medicine. I always wanted to be a surgeon. Um, I love medicine. I love taking care of people. And it just seemed like if I didn't go then, I never would have. Um, I'd be looking at finishing up playing soccer at 32, 33, and then looking at 10 years of training before you're you're actually a practicing physician. You know, I'm going to be in my 40s before I'm actually doing what I want to do. So... It was with a heavy heart, and I walked away from soccer, but I still feel like it was probably the right thing for me to do at the time. Definitely have regrets. Definitely wish I could still be doing it, but um, I'm happy where I am right now. I met my wife. I have a daughter. We're in Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm I'm training. And you're you're a bona fide Southerner by the sounds of it. Um, so yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess you kind of answered this, but you know how how do you do you look back on how you made the decision and and just the timing. Um, uh, do you, how do you look back on it? Do you think, um, you know, oh, maybe two more, maybe I should have given it one or two more years or maybe, you know, or I guess you, you, you were at the end of the deferments, right? So you kind of had to make that choice, right? 
Yeah, and my choice would have been, you know, reapplying, retaking the standard assessed MCAT, right. maybe retaking some of my college courses if I really wanted to go, which would have put me out another two, two years or so. Yeah. Uh, but really, I mean, in terms of playing, I know it was an exciting time to leave Minnesota. And in hindsight, they made the jump to MLS uh, just a few years after I left, but there's nothing to say that I would have gone with them. Yeah. And kind of at the time – you know, I felt a little bit stagnant in my career. You know, I'd, uh, I felt like, you know, we had just won a championship. We went back the next year. I'd captain my squad. Um, we made best 11, uh, as a player. And, you know, I kind of really wanted to move up and keep challenging myself and progressing. And, uh, and when that opportunity didn't come and I got released by Portland, it was kind of one of those decisions where, you know, I, I, it'd be fun to build something in Minnesota with the group that they had. But at the same time, I, I had another calling that I wanted to go explore. Yeah. Uh, lower division soccer, uh, you know, the, the USL NASL days, um, produced some pretty crazy, bizarre stories over the years. Um, are there, are there any that you look back at and, and just like shake your head at of, of just the weird, like fly by night nature. I'm thinking of, specifically things like players being traded for hotel vouchers or, or just the, the jankiness of, of everything coming together? Um, nothing like that. Nothing too out of the ordinary from Minnesota. They were pretty run, they were run pretty, uh, sorry, professionally. Um, I had heard stories, but I don't, I can't confirm that any of them were actually true about people being traded for a pack of balls, but that was like Kevin Friedland's joke that he'd throw out in training. He'd say, you know, Better be careful, Rook. They'll trade you for a bag of balls. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just – I remember the first year that I, I came to the league, you know, I, we uh, – I think we were still playing, you know, three games in, in four days or five days going to Seattle, Vancouver, and Portland in a weekend. Um, and that was – those are some tough stretches because, I mean, coming out of college, you know, you play two games in a weekend, if that. And I remember thinking, you know, we're – driving in vans from from Portland to Seattle and then on to Vancouver and how much of a toll that was taking on the body. So, I mean, just situations like that. I have nothing, nothing that jumps in my mind specifically except for the fact that with people sleeping in the closet for several years. <laughs> what uh, what are the games or um, or maybe even just moments um, uh, that, that you look back on uh, in your career that, that kind of you go back to the most? One of them was Salt Lake. Oh, right. The, um, the situations. Take the money and run game in the Open Cup. Yeah, take the money and run. That was, I mean, that was something else. We had we'd just come off our championship. We had gone probably close to 15 games unbeaten going back to the previous season. And, uh, and we were filled with confidence and playing really well. And, and the situation that led up to that was we were actually on our way back from Des Moines Menace, winning our first round Open Cup game there. And having Jorn tell us that they uh, that basically we had sold the game to Salt Lake, mm-hmm. the hosting rights. So we were supposed to host Real Salt Lake. We were very excited about it on the way back from Des Moines. And he just said, hey, listen, we have a financial opportunity. They would like to pay for us to go out there, you know, gate receipts, whatever the bottom line was. But it was a financial decision for a club that was hurting. Yeah. And so from that moment on, it was it was once again just the club – up against adversity and uh and we went to salt lake and had a surprisingly large crowd for a i think a tuesday night yeah and uh and we put a hurting on them 
And one of my favorite things now to go back, actually, I did this maybe about a month ago, listening to Jason Kreiss's, uh YouTube interview afterwards. Yeah, it was... After- yeah, go ahead. <laughs> we just had uh, we just did a, a, a live podcast with Bruce and uh, Jeff Reuter and, and Kevin Friedland, and we we talk. I talked to Kevin and Bruce about that game, particularly because his uh, post game talk is he's so embarrassed. He says it's like the worst game of my life. Yeah, he said, uh, "quote I would not want to be a player under me right now." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that has to give you that has to give you quite, quite a bit of joy. You, you're the you're the nobodies who uh, you know you sold the money and or sold the game, and then you go there and, and it wasn't just a, a you know a, a plucky win. You guys you guys beat the pants off of Real Salt Lake and embarrassed them in front of a sold out crowd. Yeah, we we played well, and I mean, in their credit too, they, they didn't have all of their big stars. I think Fabio Spindola was injured at the time. I think they were probably resting one or two players, but they still put out a pretty solid squad and a good lineup and and playing on a, a packed house in Salt Lake City at elevation, we came out with a win. It was awesome. It was great. Are there any other games like that that, that you go back to or is that that and kind of the finals the, 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 the big moments? Um that game's probably the one that I go back to the most. The the championship games were such a blur. Yeah. Um coming into my mind out of my mind so quickly I don't even remember the details uh probably the celebrations are are what uh I was more excited about and I'd probably go back to more than the actual games themselves just because the details kind of leave my memory um but yeah those are those are the best moments are celebrating with the fans celebrating with friends um the Fort Lauderdale game after we won down in Fort Lauderdale going to the bar afterwards and uh watching Taka watch himself on TV and yell we won championship on Gold TV. <laughs> and celebrating the fan, with the fans was uh, was unbelievable. Uh, you know, one thing I interviewed Christian Ramirez uh, last week, and one thing that surprised me was the way he had a he has a um, kind of uh, like he remembers every goal as if they're his children. Like he he started just describing random goals um, throughout his career. And I, I'm, so I guess I'm kind of curious if, if there are things like that, where, where you can remember specific, you know, like I tackled that uh, Fabian Espindola, you just brought him up, but you didn't play him, but um, you know, I tackled Fabian Espindola and it was a beautiful, you know, something like that. Do you remember specific moments from like that? There, there are a few, um, Let's see. One of the first ones that pops to my mind is probably in that championship game against Tampa where uh, they knocked a long ball in. I remember bringing it down my chest, and I was playing center back, and I was under pressure and decided that it would be a good time to play a little one-two with Simone <laughs> right inside of our center circle, and the ball almost went out of bounds, but I slid and was able to keep it in, and with my next touch, I threw like a 65-yard ball across the field to Martine perfectly in stride. I was like, I don't know what I was thinking or why I did that, but that was sweet. Um, and then uh, let's see which other ones. The the goal against Tampa in the in the championship, the one before where Connor Tobin rose up and won his header off the corner kick, mm-hmm. and uh, that ball flashed right by my face. And I remember very distinctly initially being pissed that I didn't continue my run and get my head on it too or foot on it or whatever. And then Martine being right there at the back post to put it in. So, um, those are some, and 
you know, a few tackles every now and then where you just you really get a good crunch on someone. I know when Mar- Martin was playing for Fort Lauderdale, I put in a crunching tackle against him that just got me so excited. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, any time that I got to put a good tackle in on someone, those are the best. During the time you were in Minnesota, who who gets overlooked uh, the most from the from all the you know 2008 to 2013. In terms of I just, in terms of what do you mean? In yeah, terms of just, uh, I guess their, the, there's the players on the team. Yeah, just there are the players who I I think about a lot through that period, and I, I'm just wondering if if there's people you um, played with or played under or however it works that that you think, man, this this person doesn't get enough credit for um for what they brought to the team. There, um, there was definitely one person that I can think of off the top of my mind because I actually just spoke with him recently, um, and he didn't really get too many minutes in Minnesota, which was too bad because I remember bringing, helping him come out to Minnesota and, and signing his contract out there, but it was Michael Reed. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and he was kind of built into the same mold as Neil, where he was an all-action midfielder, covered a lot of ground. He could put tackles in, two-footed, could ping long balls, create off the dribble, and uh, and he was a phenomenal player. and. And uh, I would have loved to see him get some more minutes because he was very, very promising. Um, but at the time, when you look at our squad, you know, he was competing with, you know, Taka. He was competing with Neil. Um, sometimes Martin would drop in as an attacking center mid, and he'd have to, to pick up minutes there, too. So, uh, let's see, Gotsmanoff was a part of the team during that time as well. I mean, he, there was a lot of competition in that center midfield area. Um, but I think he was was someone that was kind of built in that same mold and, and the guy would just run through a brick wall if he had to to win a game. So he's uh, he's the one person at the top of my mind that that mm-hmm. sticks out. Um. So and then and then you know maybe this the same answer I don't know. But um, who's the best best player you ever played with? Oh, that's the one. Are you talking about in Minnesota? Or are you talking about on all my? All my travels. Um, well, give me one. Give me uh, one of each. I do want to know Minnesota, but then I'm I'm curious what your answer yeah. is for the other. I get I get asked that a lot, and there are two players from when I traveled in MLS that always stood out to me, and one was Shalri Joseph. Mm. Yep. The dude was the man. I remember coming in as a rookie in uh, New England, and he he just bossed everything. He was uh, kind of what I heard Carlos Valderrama was like when he used to train with the Tampa Bay Mutiny. He always wanted the ball. He was a big physical presence. He had a voice about him. He was commanding, uh, just dictated everything about every single game he played in training, on the field. He was technical. He just he ran the show. And uh, and he, he was pretty inspirational as uh, just getting drafted to see someone like that. Mm. The other one from uh, Portland was, was Gabe Valeri. Yeah. Um, you think about someone who reads the game and is three steps ahead of every single player around him. Uh, there were some some training games where I played as the holding midfielder with uh, Diego Valeri playing as an attacking midfielder against him, and his combinations with Darlington Nagby were out of this world. Um, they were, you know, three steps ahead of every single player on the field, um, and he he just he possessed just such good awareness and positional sense that uh, that he was so unbelievably difficult to play against. He was actually uh, surprisingly his first step was a lot quicker than I thought too. Hmm. Um, and then, uh, going back to Minnesota, who was the best player that I played with? Oh, that's tough. Going back into the early years when I was a rookie, 
the one player that I didn't think got enough credit but who was an absolute monster was Jeremiah Bass. He uh, covered every inch of grass. He was uh, a smart guy. He was a good leader. He uh, he was smart with the ball. He knew how to use his body better than anyone I've ever seen in terms of protecting the ball. And uh, and I think that he was pretty inspirational. When I think about him and, and the things that he kind of taught me early on as a rookie quite a bit. Hmm. Um, so, you can tell kind of the people that I gravitate towards, you know, yeah. the, the hardworking, cover everybody's glass, ball-winning midfielders. Yeah. Something to be said for that. Um. So what's your relationship to uh, soccer now? What, and and then I'm I'm curious then if you follow Minnesota United at all. Yeah, it's um, I mean I still check scores and read soccer news every single day. Um, we have like a cold league that we play in a men's league team up here in residency, but my uh, my ability to play has diminished completely. Um, <laughs> like I'm playing with two little feet now. I don't know what is going on. I can't move. So I don't get to play as much as I used to. And, and when I do play, it's pretty frustrating. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I still – Manchester United, my favorite team. I try to watch them every, every weekend. I try to follow MLS as much as I can. But with, uh, with a wife, a new kid at home, and an orthopedic residency, it's pretty tough to keep up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, do, you don't have any uh, plans to to skip out on the residency sometime and and come up to Allianz Field at all? Oh, I would love to. <laughs> it looks like a dream. You guys have built some some special up there. Yeah. Um, it, well, hope, hopefully someday we we can uh, we can host a. Um, well, maybe maybe next year next year will be the tenth anniversary of the uh, championship, and so uh, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll talk to Kevin and see if he can start arranging uh-huh. a. Uh, uh, yeah, Kevin, Kevin's a schemer. I'm sure if you put him to the task, he'll get it done. All right. Well, um, uh, Dr. Captain Kyle Altman, I want to say thank you so much. It's been a long time since we've spoken and uh, it, going in the, the Wayback Machine um, to some of these games and, and some of these moments has, has been pretty special for me. So I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the call, Wes. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see you up here sometime, but until then, stay safe and, uh, you know, fix people's bodies. <laughs> I'll do my best. All right. Hey, you have a good one, man. Good to hear from you. You too. Take care. Bye.